Well, as COVID-19 restrictions lift, many people are finding themselves getting called back to in-person work environments after several months in remote settings to help those grappling with anxiety and uncertainty surrounding this return to normal. Angela Hall, Associate Professor in Michigan State University's renowned School of Human Resources and Labor Relations, is offering some tips for making the transition as smooth and stress-free as possible. So, Angela, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me today, Russ. I'm really glad to be here. So what are some tips for adjusting from a work from home back to a nine-to-five schedule? So first of all, I would say be easy on yourself. We've been living in a weird state of reality for the past year-plus months. And so, you know, practice some grace and show yourself some grace. As far as some practical um, tips, things that are important to consider are practicing. You know, we are so used to just rolling out of bed in our sweats and then jumping into a Zoom call, uh, pretty close to like what I probably did this morning. But, you know, when you have to get ready for um, a commute, you have to pack a lunch, you have to let your dog out, you know, do that. So that the first day back, the first week back, that that it won't be um, so stressful that by the time you get to work, that you are panting and sweating and just overly anxious. Another thing that I think is really important for people to do, whether you're working at home or in the office or a hybrid type of model, is that you need to create a daily, a weekly, or even a monthly schedule. It's not only to hold yourself accountable, but to map out where you're going. I think that if you work without a schedule, it's like saying, oh, I'm going to make it to um, um, the Grand Canyon, and you just start driving west. You don't know how you're going to get there, what roads or things like that. You need to plan. If you don't know where you're going to spend the night in a hotel, you have to map out where you're going. And sometimes things, crazy things happen or unexpected things happen during the day or the week or the month that might throw you off your schedule. But I think that's an important way to keep yourself accountable, keep yourself on track, give you a roadmap, but also you can see where you're doing time, like time drains. Um, a lot of us have those time sucks and you're like, wow, I should have done this by the, en- by the end of the day on Wednesday and I haven't even gotten started. It can let you look back and see where you're having those types of bottlenecks. Um, Another thing that I think that a lot of us, um, including myself, constantly we need to remind ourselves is to be generous when um, scheduling your meetings and assigning yourself tasks. A lot of times I say, you know, um, to my to people that I consult with because I do a good amount of external consulting is that, you know, um, you've got to say, okay, if you're going to do uh, a meeting from nine to 10, don't necessarily schedule the next meeting at 10. You need to have, you have to uh, factor in some time so that it might run over. You have to take those, like my friend in the business school likes to call biology breaks, things like that. You might even have to check your emails. So give yourself that cushion And I know someone who always at least schedules 15 minutes between meetings. And I think that's very, very important. Another thing that I wanted to really emphasize is that, um, you know, a lot of things that we did before the pandemic were we did them that way because we always did them that way. 
And it was, you know, you know, we didn't really question our routines, our processes, but now it's an opportunity to hit the reset button. And we realized during this pandemic and working from home that we could be creative and streamline processes and, you know, and be very innovative. So as you go back to work, you know, it, I don't think people should go back to the same old, same old. They should be thinking of some ways where they can make their jobs more efficient, easier for themselves, better, provide better service for their customers, their clients, their patients. And, you know, think about being innovative, because I think um, this is a real good opportunity to hit the reset button. And Angela, what are some tangible ways that employees can practice self-care during the workday if they feel anxious or overwhelmed? It is normal that people are feeling stressed out right now. I'm feeling stressed out right now. Um, You know, we are dealing with the Delta variant. We haven't been in the office for a long period of time. Um, Things are very, very new and we're, and these are constantly changing. And what I like to tell people, especially here in the United States, um, despite what's happening politically, despite what's happening, you know, uh, with the pandemic, we have lived for the last, you know, couple of hundred years, at least since the Civil War, in relative certainty. You know, we're, we're not being invaded. When we flip the light switch, electricity comes on. So we have a lower tolerance of ambiguity, uncertainty, change. So realize that it's normal to feel stressed out and out of sorts. And, you know, if you practice that grace, that's, I think, the first step. Another thing that as far as um, self-care is to uh, take five minutes, practice meditation, listening to music, going for a walk, uh, hanging out with your COVID pet, um, doing things like that, um, that you block out that period of time for you to reset. And because it, it is stressful. I mean, just we're still living a pandemic and it's going to be even more difficult as people transition back, and as people who have children transition back to the school year, a lot of kids are going back to school, how you negotiate that. Um, So know that you need to take that time out for yourself. The other thing that I think is very important is to solicit social support, whether that means leaning on your coworkers, uh, commiserating with them, um, talking, being transparent with your boss about what kind of needs that you may have or some apprehensions, joining some type of um, employee resource group or support group where you have other people that you can talk to, lean on people who are in your professional network. I wouldn't be where I am today. If I didn't have a great network of people to be able to lean on to bounce questions off and not be afraid to ask for help. And it's to the point that you're depressed because a lot of people are depressed. Reach out to your employee assistance plan, try to find some type of counseling or doing some things that support you so that you can stay mentally healthy. And what about for employees who may be asked to come to the office more than they may be comfortable? What are some good tactics for addressing those concerns with their supervisors? This is this really uh, it resonates with me because I have a child, for example, who has um, immunocompromised and is on immunosuppressants. And I had a very frank conversation with my boss and I said, 
you know, I don't feel comfortable coming in right now because she is very, very sick. And he was like, he, he was so cool about it. Everyone about it. They were like, no, no, we want to help you. I mean, I think that this year, this past year and a half, people have become more uh, empathetic. They realize that times are tough. And to be transparent about what you're going through, rather than trying to come back and be resentful or because you should have said something that you didn't. But there are situations where you just can't work remotely. Um, you are um, a nurse or you have an organization which is just not allowing people to work remotely. Well, there are some things that you could try to do. You could try to um, have a schedule maybe where you are coming in uh, only a couple of days a week, or you could try to ask for uh, a certain type of space where you could be more socially distant from people. You could ask those around you um, you know, you know, I've got some problems, you know, like uh, I, I have some concerns. Um, do you mind masking? Um, those types of things are, you know, the transparency and being proactive. Also, if you feel that you cannot come back um, for whatever reason, like you're immunosuppressed um, or someone in your family, my, my family is immunosuppressed, um, you can arm yourself with data. You can tell your boss, hey, you know, for the past year and a half, I've been working at home and, you know, things are working out okay. I've been able to do my work. I haven't been able to be proficient. Um, no, I haven't had complaints from customers, clients, coworkers. And um, this is my productivity. This is my performance in the past. And let me show you how I'm going to hold myself accountable in the future and try to negotiate and say, hey, um, why don't you let me continue to work from home or remotely until, um, you know, things until you see a problem and then we can try to revisit that. But if things aren't broken, why try to fix them? And that all goes part and parcel with explaining why you want to work from home and being able to address the concerns that your boss um, may have. A big concern for a lot of bosses is that they want to, um, they're afraid about the office culture that things may not work as well or be as cohesive if people aren't, aren't in the office seeing each other face to face. But you can talk about having um, Zoom meetings on a regular basis, one-on-one -on -one or uh, group ones, or meeting people socially distanced for a short period of time so that you can see their face. There's some people that I only have known for the past year over Zoom, and then I see them face to face. I'm like, wow, you look really different in person over them face to face. I'm like, you're a lot taller, a lot shorter than I thought you were. Um, and so uh, you could do things like that and to you know address your boss's concerns, but still, you know, arm yourself with that data, and hopefully you can uh, reach uh, some type of uh, compromise or happy medium where you've allayed your boss's concerns, but you've also laid some of your own. And Angela, from the employer's perspective, then what are some things employers can do to help their employees transition smoothly back into the office? Don't expect things to be perfect when you come back. For example, I haven't worked the uh, photocopier in my office for a year and a half. Trust you. Trust me, Russ, I won't know what to do if paper gets stuck in there. I'm going to be calling someone for help. So imagine things are going to be hiccups. Things are going to take a little bit longer. Even just for example, my husband just went back to work. Um, he's an attorney with the state of Michigan. 
and he works on the eighth floor. So he has to budget in more time to get up to his office because either he has to walk up the stairs or it only one or two people can go in the elevator. Can you imagine eight o'clock when everyone's going in? So a mat, so you have to expect that things are not going to be like they were before. You've got to also practice regular check-ins with your employees to make sure that you discuss their concerns and so that and also so they can feel validated and feel heard. Even if you can't change things for them, just the notion of employees being able to engage in what we call voice, being able to air their concerns, we know goes a lot, uh, goes very far in terms of employee well-being, mental health, productivity, and all those types of things. Another practical type of thing is to schedule meetings for midday rather than early morning at the end of the day. We all get Zoom fatigue. And so you don't want to have these meetings necessarily at the end of the day. Um, the other thing is um, people have to get used to that commute, finding a parking space, walking in. So you don't, you know, people are all, you know, um, as my grandmother used to like to say, discombobulated when they come in. You want to give them an opportunity to calm down and relax. And so that 8 a.m. meeting is probably not the best thing. Another thing you want to be open to getting feedback to employees about how the jobs can be done better. You know, even the best boss, especially if the boss has never done the same job as the employee or hasn't done the same job as the employee in a while because they've been promoted from that, they don't know how it is to do it day to day. And a lot of times the best advice you can get about streamlining a process or making things go well are, are to hear back from your employees and to solicit that kind of information. So being open to feedback is very, very important. Well, my guest is Angela Hall on MSU Today. Dr. Hall is Associate Professor in MSU's renowned School of Human Resources and Labor Relations. She's been sharing her tips for making the transition as smooth and stress-free as possible back into the office. And Angela, on sort of a more 30,000-foot view, after a good year and a half of a lot of us working from home, how do you see the rise and acceptance of more remote work playing out in the years ahead where people seem to want more work-life balance and some of the power seems to be shifting more in the employee direction? But where do you see all this headed? I see this as the next wave of the labor movement in a way, because you're right, there has been a shifting of power. Ever since there's been a decline in the unionization rate, and ever since you know employees, employers have switched from having, for example, um, pensions to 401ks, where employees move around, um, employers have had a, the notion that you know we may treat certain pockets of employees really, really well, but overall we have the power. Because, you know, oftentimes there's more supply than there is demand and such. Now there's been a power shift. And there's so many people who say, hey, I'm not even coming back to the office. And there are so many people who said, this is the time for me to hit the reset button. And also a practical concern is that for a lot of, for a lot of employees in a lot of states, staying home and collecting unemployment might be, a, you know, for them, you know, a better alternative than going to a boss that is abusive or the work conditions aren't good. And it's not because they just want a free ride, but they'd rather get a job where they're treated like a human being rather than going someplace and making 12 bucks an hour 
and going through hell every time they go to work. And so employers have to think about, yeah, you, we need to treat our employees better. We have to see them instead of as an expense, as, as not an expense, but as a resource. You're not an expense you're trying to minimize. You're a resource or an asset that you're investing in. You need to empower employees, hear their voices, um, at solicit feedback from them. But you also need to make sure you have good two-way communication like having transparency about what you're doing. Even if the um, communication from the employer is, we don't know, we're living in a certain time, we'll keep you posted, but uh, as of this moment, we really don't know. Another thing I think is really good is to have, um, to have town halls with your employees, like virtual town halls, where they can pose questions and such. And also, for your employees who are there face-to-face, um, do something called walking tours, where you would go and actually go in there and talk to your employees, see how they're doing. And you don't want there to be created a big chasm between the frontline workers who go into work and then the higher paid or mid-management or executives work from home or safe and uh, away from all the drama. So as a manager, even if you are working uh, remotely some of the time, you need to come in at least on a regular basis to check in with their employees, see how they're doing, and to hear their voice. And another one of these macro questions, Dr. Hall, from that 30,000-foot view, what are, and I know we could have a conference on this, but what are some other issues, challenges, and opportunities in the fields of human resources and labor relations? Um, other challenges, I think the biggest challenge is the notion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, particularly from the notion. So as a person of color, I am an Afro-Latina, first generation from um, uh, Panama. My parents came from Panama in the 1960s. And I know like the DEI movement, which I can say, for example, in the academic field of, of uh, human resource management, got very little love for many, many generations. In fact, my advisors were, when I was at Florida State, told me to stay away from any of those types of issues because he didn't want me to be looked at as an angry black woman. And, and, that, and that was good advice because it would have been career suicide. But now people are really interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we need to make sure that this is not just a moment, this is a movement. And, and it's not just people of color. It is anybody feels included and valued in the workplace, whether it's because of your gender identity or orientation, whether it's because you have a disability, you're a veteran, you are you're a low-income worker, you are whatever. So I think that's an issue that needs to be ingrained, and we're going to see this within the field of human resources. Another thing that you that is very, very, very important is the notion of artificial intelligence and technology and their, their place in the workplace. And the fact that, once again, we don't want there to be a chasm created. We don't want the, those employees are left behind because they're not trained or because they're being replaced by technology and having them find a way for, their, for them to have a place in the workplace because the types of skills that you need are ever-changing. Another trend that you're going to see 
in um, human resources, and you've seen it before in the pandemic, but you're seeing even more, something called job crafting. And job crafting is, so you, are, have, you have a specific role in the workplace or position or job description, but more and more employers are allowing people to craft their job into a job that fits their skills. So for example, I, you may be better at like creating reports and your coworker may be better at um, analyzing the data and you have the same role, but you do more of the report generation and that person does more of the um, data and analysis and you go for it like that. So job crafting and finding ways that employees can thrive in their roles you're going to see definitely more and more of that in the future. A two-part question for you, Dr. Hall, is for what at first attracted you to MSU? Was it more than this, the renown of the school? And what are some of your own research interests? So what attracted me to MSU is that um, I'm in the multidisciplinary School of Human Resources and Labor Relations. And what attracted me there is that um, it is one of the um, the few schools of HR and LR that are in the country. And we have economists, we have um, IO psychologists, we have people like me who have PhDs in management. Also there, there were two other faculty there who are like me who have PhDs in management and a law degree. So the fact that I could do multidisciplinary research at a, at a top ranked program really attracted me and that I could learn from people from other disciplines. It's really cool being able to work with a psychologist or such. And the great thing about MSU is that we're able to work um, with people so easily from other disciplines. So currently I'm working with some um, and, um, faculty and students in the College of Engineering, particularly um, Andrew Mason, who's also a real dear friend of mine. And we're working on some type of technology which may be able to detect bias in people and their actions and to give them feedback about that. And so those are some opportunities that I got here at MSU. As far as the second part of your question, you're talking about um, research. I'm working on that research, like I mentioned in the College of Engineering. I'm also working on some interesting research with um, Kirk Munoz in the College of Veterinary Medicine. And we're looking at the relationship that people have with their animals and how their relationship with their pets impact how they do work. Um, like for example, bringing your pet to work or you, your, your, your pet as a buffer. Another, but the main thing that I am known for, if you were to Google me, is that I, uh, I study employee accountability. And, a, and, and by accountability, it means the um, belief or expectation that you'll be called to account for your action. You'll be called on the carpet. And because we feel like we're going to have to account for things, we mon we um, adapt certain type of behaviors. It might be covering, you know, that, 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 that CYA type of situation, or it could be um, a situation where we say, hmm, I better think about this long and hard because my boss is going to ask me why I did that. So I better have some good explanations. And so I look at how employers can promote accountability, how people react to accountability, because just keeping on accountability on employees is not the best thing because as we know that there is like a curve. It goes up, you know, performance goes up, but if you keep on keeping accountability on people, they start to crash and burn, they become stressed out. And so you have to find that sweet spot. 
The other aspect of accountability research that I'm really, really excited about is how people from historically marginalized groups manage their accountability. So for example, as a person of color, like they, we like to say, for example, I'm driving while black, right? So I always drive like two miles beyond the speed limit. So I know that, let's say I, I were a salesperson and I had to travel to um, different locations, I would have to build in more time than maybe somebody else who feels more comfortable driving five miles above the speed limit. But I know I don't want to have any like interaction with uh, like, you know, getting stopped by law enforcement and things like that. So like as people of color, we, you know, we talk about we give our children the talk about how to interact with things with, with, with law enforcement. I try to avoid it. And so I know that it takes me longer to do things, for example. So how we manage our personal accountabilities at work when you're a person from a historically marginalized group. That's another thing that I study. We're talking, Angela, on the MSU Today podcast. You have your own podcast. Tell me about it, what you focus on, and why you think this medium is a good way to get your message out. Oh, thank you for asking me that question. So I have a podcast series called People Talk with Angela Hall. It is available on Apple and Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast. And the reason why I started it is because of my really good friend, Tom DeWitt who is a faculty member in the Broad College of Business at MSU. And he and I are, um, uh, I work with him, which is CX of M Radio, which is customer experience management. And in, we have um, a, uh, a whole series where we do workshops. And part of what we do is that we also um, have this podcast series. And I talk about the HR aspect, how you engage, motivate, um, your employees, but also issues about career um, leadership, career management, diversity, equity, inclusion, and all of those matters. And so Tom has me do the people side of customer experience management. I do it also um, with my other um, good friend. She has a, another one, uh, Chika, uh, Dr. Chakaya. She does her own podcast series that is very much related to mine. But yeah, check me out. People talk with Angela Hall. And it's a very, very fun thing. And we get to talk about timely, topical things related to HR. I never thought I had a podcast series. And that's why it's good to have a good network. My friend Tom, who's been friends with me since uh, we were in our uh, PhD program, is the one who prompted me to do so. Well, this is MSU Today. My guest has been Angela Hall. She's Associate Professor in Michigan State University's world-renowned School of Human Resources and Labor Relations. And uh, the main reason we were talking is to get Angela's advice and tips for making the transition as smooth and stress-free back to the office as many are doing now. So Angela, just kind of summarize some of your tips as we close. What I think, number one, is that as an employee or as uh, an employer, you need to practice grace with yourself and others. You need to be open and transparent about what you're feeling and you need to solicit um, feedback from others you need to lean on others and seek social support and not seek the social support once you start flailing. Uh, you need to so seek that kind of support from the beginning. Employers need to think about having um, things like town halls and open um, uh, communications and employees should feel empowered to talk to their employers about what's happening. And we all realize too that we're in a time where things are pretty ambiguous right now. And that we have to realize that what is okay today may be very different tomorrow. 
and just remember that we're just going to have to practice some flexibility. Well, Angela, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much, Russ. And I am Russ White. This is MSU Today.